Coming up on Stu Does America, if you ask anyone on the left, the Capitol riots were the equivalent to the Hindenburg airlifting the Titanic directly into the Twin Towers. I'll speak with commentary writer Drew Holden about a certain other issue that might be even a bigger problem than all of that. It involves hundreds of thousands of dead people around the world. The NBA continues to ramp up their social justice efforts, which of course means ramping down the number of people who give a crap about the NBA. And doesn't it seem like the progressive ideas that terrified established Democrats just a few years ago have now become the foundation of their platforms? How did we get here? And more importantly, how the hell did we get here so fast? Let's find out as we do Lightspeed Leftism. Stu does America. Ah, times, they are a-changin', aren't they? Things move pretty fast. I believe it was the philosopher Ferris Bueller who once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And that kind of seems the way that we're kind of going through this, uh, this political transformation of one of the two major parties in this country without really noticing it all that much. We're moving pretty fast. Remember back in 2020? Remember those days? The good old days of 2020. As we're going through the primary uh, situation in 2020, there was a debate about health care, which always seems to come up. And it's interesting that it comes up because didn't we implement your last great idea already? Now, everyone in the entire field was just like, well, sure, Obamacare is the law of the land, but that sucks. We got to go a lot further. And Joe Biden was just like, we need to massively expand Obamacare. And he was the conservative one on stage. Everyone else was saying, hey, we want universal health care for all. And it was interesting to watch that because that's 2020. And I remember in 2013 when Bernie Sanders, oh, that lone socialist in our government, Bernie Sanders, decided to propose something like Medicare for all. And he got exactly zero co-sponsors. None. No one in the Democratic Party would sign on to his idea for universal health care, Medicare for all. Not one person. A few years later, every single candidate, I, you can kind of say without Joe Biden, though I will say Biden was darn close to this and seemingly would adopt it if, if it was possible. He's a little more pragmatic, perhaps. The point here is that this is moving really fast. These ideas that were crazy, socialist, non nonsense ideas just a few years ago are now the mainstream positions of the Democratic Party. And it's happening really quickly. One of the things that made me think about this today was thinking about where we are with critical race theory. Critical race theory is obviously permeating every little bit of our society these days. It's in our schools, it's in our colleges, it's in the media, it's in our activism, it's seemingly everywhere. And it wasn't that long ago that this sort of stuff was completely crazy. Let me put you in a little time machine for a moment and take you back to the good old days of the financial crisis. Remember 2008, and then we're going into 2009, Barack Obama becomes our first black president. Well, in the race leading up to that election, we had a bit of a controversy that you might remember. It was a controversy about what Barack Obama really believed. Who was he? Why did he sit every Sunday in a church and listen to stuff like this? The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. 
not God bless America, God damn America that's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating our citizens as less than human. God damn America. Uh, it's hard to listen to, but my favorite part of the clip is when he says, we're in the Bible. It's in the Bible. I don't remember. You know, I don't don't remember that exact thing in the Bible, but I'm sure it's there. So he's in Bible country. That's all I know. What's interesting about that moment is what you heard there, GD America, what you heard in other speeches from uh, from Jeremiah Wright during that controversy, things like, well, you know, the government created AIDS to kill black people. What you saw there was a strain of black liberation theology. We talked about it quite a bit back at the time on Glenn's show and on the radio show. And we talked about that often because it was important to understand the intellectual underpinnings, as much as they exist, to a speech like that. That's not just something you make up. It's not just something I'm going to say a bad word about America. I'm going to swear and say bad things about America. That's easy. When you have an entire theology developed that lies underneath it, that's the foundation for what he was preaching that day, well, you need to know what that is. And we went through black liberation theology in detail. It's got nothing to do with black empowerment, of course. It's got nothing to do with black liberation. It's got to do with what I would call racism and what we now call critical race theory. Critical race theory and, and uh, black liberation theology are very close cousins. Uh, certainly black liberation theology falls right in line with many of the aspects of critical race theory and the things we're falling, uh, thinking about today. And as critical race theory sort of permeates our society, it's important to look back just to where this was. 2008, these tapes come out uh, about, of Jeremiah Wright, and the, the, the point being made is the one I made leading up to, the, to uh, the audio there. Wait a minute. Who is this guy? He's, he sat, how could he listen to this stuff? He went to this church for 30 years? He listened to this guy preach for 30 years? You may not have been to that a particular sermon, but I mean, uh, the tenor of that, that messenger is a real problem for America. And what's interesting about that moment was real or not, the reaction by uh, the Democratic Party was not to say, hey, Jeremiah Wright is correct. Jeremiah Wright has a great point. Jeremiah Wright is a really smart guy who's analyzed this country properly. The reaction from the left was to run in terror from Jeremiah Wright, to sprint in the opposite direction, to say, basically, Barack Obama didn't even know this guy. He barely went to that church. He never heard anything like this. No sermon like this was ever spoken when he was there. And honestly, he wasn't there that much. They wanted to extricate themselves from any appearance in the church of Jeremiah Wright. And Barack Obama came out and publicly dismissed Jeremiah Wright from his sphere of influence. I want to watch just to show you this clip. This is back from 2008. Here's Barack Obama talking about Jeremiah Wright. I vehemently disagree and strongly condemn the statements hmm. that have been the subject of this controversy. I categorically denounce any statement that disparages our great country or serves to divide us from our allies. I also believe that words that degrade individuals have no place in our public dialogue, mm. whether it's on the campaign stump or in the pulpit. In some, I reject outright the statements by Reverend Wright that are at issue. Hmm. Pretty interesting. I mean, there's an, a, a separate speech just to reject Jeremiah Wright. 
Now, was that true in, in, I mean, is that what Barack Obama wanted to do with his time that day? Probably not. But that's what he believed the country was ready for. For him to come out and say, elect me, I'm not that guy. I don't like that guy. I don't want those guys' words anywhere near me. I promise you, I'm not him. That was the promise from Barack Obama. That's totally different than the way critical race theory is being handled today. The same ideas in a slightly different package are now being embraced. Ibram Kendi is saying things that are far more offensive than even what Jeremiah Wright was saying back in 2003 when those comments were initially made. Now it's commonplace. White fragility, Ibram Kendi, so many others that we've talked about on this show over and over and over again are uh, pushing critical race theory into our schools, into the military, into corporations like Disney and Coca-Cola. This is much more widespread. Remember, in 2008, Jeremiah Wright was something to reject. Jeremiah Wright is now well under the umbrella of the Democratic Party. He's in the tent, full-fledged in the tent, at least his ideas are. It's funny because in 2008 and, and, and the aftermath, people basically realized that, you know, the Jeremiah Wright thing was a bad thing. Barack Obama was correct to run for it, from it. In fact, it's so bad, it became such a negative for Barack Obama that the media went to the tactic of criticizing Sarah Palin for wanting to bring it up. It was an unfair thing to bring up in the eyes of not only Sarah Palin, but also uh, John McCain. Sarah Palin, excuse me, wanted to bring it up. McCain did not. And none of, nobody in the media thought it was a fair attack. It was a racist attack is what we were told. Now, here we are with a much wider scope of a philosophy being spread all over the country. And no one's running from it anymore. I will say it wasn't universal that people ran against, uh, away from Jeremiah Wright in 2008 and in the aftermath. There was one guy who actually defended him through that period. Let's meet him today together, shall we? Watch. Do you embrace the uh, Re- Reverend Wright? And let me focus on the, the sound bites, for lack of better words, but certainly he has said things like GD America um, and the things that he said, you know, the critical things even of Senator Clinton never having to grow up and, you know, just a personal attack on her. Do you embrace that? Is that something you would do, sir, in your church? We celebrate uh, Reverend Wright in the same way that hmm. we celebrate the truth-telling tradition of the black church, which uh, when preachers tell the truth, very often it makes people uncomfortable. And I think that the country has been done a disservice by this constant playing over and over again of the same sound bites outside of context. And we've seen this before. Sometimes we are miseducated by playing the sound bites of people whom we, whom we appreciate and adore. Martin Luther King Jr., for example. But Absolutely. here's the problem, is that, is that the media is being criticized for using sound bites of Reverend Wright and taking it out of context. Things that are rather stunning and shocking to many Americans who hear him, if not most Americans. Here's the problem. Apparently they bother Senator Obama enough now because apparently he's now disavowed these, quote, sound bites. So it's almost, you know, so we think there's a little bit more there because apparently even Senator Obama does. Sure. Well, well, Senator Obama is, is doing what he should do. He's running for president. And Jeremiah Wright is doing what he should do. He is a preacher and a so- prophet. Preacher and a prophet. Hey, guys, can we find, I don't know, anyone 
to defend Jeremiah Wright, to give us the other side of the story? Because even Barack Obama is abandoning him. Can we find anyone? I know Raphael Warnock. I know Reverend Warnock can be the guy, the one guy who we can dig up to actually defend this crazy person. And they did that. And Raphael Warnock came on and decided to uh, defend him. And as you kind of see, he's saying, look, Barack Obama is the same way. He's just not going to say it. He's running for president. But I'm going to sit here and defend these ideas because that's what I believe. Fast forward 12 years. And the guy, they, the only guy they could find to defend these crazy ideas, which were basically a close sister of critical race theory, that guy was elected as a senator in Georgia. That's how far we have come. Think about that for a second. They sprinted in the opposite direction to get away from Jeremiah Wright in 2008. And the only guy willing to stick around and defend right then is a senator now in a red state. And yes, Georgia, to me, is still a red state, though it's, it's clearly become purple, uh, if not blue at this point. Georgia, a southern state, elects that guy? That's how far we've come. That's incredible. Think about this for a second. America in 2021 is unrecognizable to the Democrats of 2008. If we don't do something soon, we're not going to have an America left to recognize at all. Right now, we are in the middle of a historic housing market. Like, I mean, you look at the charts and they're just going straight up. They look like, uh, I don't know, they look like, you know, the COVID count in March 2020. Just straight up these prices right now. So if you are a buyer right now, you need to be really careful. Make sure you don't overpay for something. Be patient. Take the right opportunity. If you're a seller, you need to find and take full advantage of this market because it may not come around again. You know, if this thing drops off for a while, you might not see these prices for a long time. That's what happened in 2008. Uh, you know, you, we saw prices go down and not go back to those levels until basically now. It's been a long time. It took a long time to recover from that market. You need to take advantage because this is your biggest financial transaction you'll probably ever have in your life. That's one thing you can be sure about. If someone's buying or selling a home, it's probably the biggest financial transaction they've ever had in their entire life up to that point. That's almost always true. So you better get it right. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the best real estate agent in your area. Go there now, realestateagentsitrust.com. Get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. Happy to welcome back to the program, a writer of all commentary and master of Twitter threads, Drew Holden on Twitter, at Drew Holden 360. Drew, thanks for coming on, man. Stu, pleasure's mine. Appreciate you having me back. Uh, I love having you back, and you, you brought up a great point, and I wanted to kind of go over this a little bit, because this is something that's been bothering me quite a bit. This is a tweet from Drew uh, just the other day. If you think uh, it is more important to have a commission to study the Capitol riot on January 6th than one to study how a virus that killed 3.5 million people worldwide and 500,000 Americans originated, and whether a hostile foreign power covered it up, I think your priorities need attention. Uh, Drew, I completely agree with you here. And I think like sure. this can be misinterpreted in a way. 
Um, yeah. it's, it's being it gets a position from the left as a as you're trying to downplay what happened with the QAnon riot. And that's not right. what you're doing at all, is it? No, I, I don't think so at all, Stu. I mean, you and I have discussed, I mean, I, I think at length that th this is something that I, I certainly think was a serious, important issue. It's also an issue that is currently the subject of 400 open cases working their way through the U.S. legal system. There's going to be about 100 more. There's a couple of congressional inquiries already going. We're, we're hopefully going to get some good information coming out of all of these things. It's interesting to me that so many people on the left are fixated on the idea that this is something that we need to get to the absolute truth on as quickly as possible, so long as it's timed conveniently with the upcoming midterms. But how we have found ourselves in a situation where for the last 14 months, all of our lives have been upended and millions of people have died. For whatever reason, the origins of that aren't as significant. And that that really uh, it blows my mind a little bit, Stu. It really it really does. Let's because um, I think that the 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 QAnon situation at the Capitol was mm -hmm. was really bad. And I will say. Um, I am a person who really wants some answers to some questions regarding yeah. that day. You know, I mean, I look at I want to know why it took so long for the National Guard to get out there. I know there's re yep. some reporting on it, but I really want to know what happened and why that happened. I would right. be fine with a group studying this. I mean, maybe it's just an opportunity for some good journalism. I mean, that might be the answer. Or maybe there's yeah. a congressional commission that could look into it, though I'm, I'm a, li a little bit more skeptical of those things. So what should be done to get to whatever answers need to be found when it comes to the Capitol? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think, unfortunately, one of the most important things that we've got to do to be able to get those good answers is wait a little bit, right? Mm. You know, I, I think we've got, like I said, over 400 cases that are currently going from a lot of people who probably don't have a huge incentive to protect anyone, particularly anyone working at the Capitol or anyone in Congress who may have helped them out. They're, they've got no incentive to protect these people. So some of it is we need to we need to stay on these cases. We need to understand what's coming out of these cases. But I think you're right. I think we also need a lot of FOIA requests that are going to ask important questions about emails, communications, back and forth, all of the logistical issues that led to what happened on January 6th. And then I think the last thing that we probably need is some measure of public reckoning, whether that's in Congress, I think I share your skepticism that maybe that's the right place, uh, but certainly within the GOP, I think more broadly about the ways that different voices, including former President Trump, uh, but certainly in plenty of members of Congress as well, what was their role in all of this? Were they helping, right? There's There's been at least whispers and allegations that maybe there's some back-end help coming from members of Congress. That's something we need to get to the bottom of. But all of those questions to me, Stu, these are, these are predominantly legal questions, um, and they're pre predominantly probably journalistic questions. The answers are out there. We've got to go and find them. And the idea that a highly publicized, highly partisan, highly political investigation done by Congress, who I hate to break it to the American people, isn't always super great at finding <laughs> answers to things. The idea that they're going to be able to snuff these sorts of things out, I I'm skeptical that all of that is the right way that this plays. Yeah, you know, it's, and it's interesting. You know, a lot of conservatives will point out, hey, what about the violence in the summer uh, leading up after the yeah. George Floyd incidents? And I have real questions about that, too. Not, not, not limited to the idea that our vice president was tweeting uh, support to bail out the criminals responsible for a lot of the violence. Yeah. I would like to know the background of that too. But I think I also recognize that a congressional committee to look into that 
would be probably a bipartisan, uh, excuse me, affair that would right. likely not get to any answers. I mean, I, I'd like to also look more at June 14th, 2017, uh, the, which was a baseball shooting. Uh, it, yeah, that was another one we didn't get a ton of answers on. And I still feel like there's more to know about that incident. But yeah, uh, that, that's just not like a congressional commission where you're talking about partisan actors. It's just not the way to get to these answers. Yeah. And that's that's the problem to me, Stu, is, you know, I, I think one of the reasons that for the coronavirus, the reason why a commission might make more sense is everyone has some incentive to get to the truth. Yes. Right. Maybe they don't have perfect incentives, but there is a clear incentive for the United States of America to better understand how this thing started and how we can prevent something like this from happening in the future. The problem when it's a partisan affair. Right. And fundamentally, what we're talking about is something partisan is that neither team necessarily has any interest in getting to the truth. They've already got all their talking points set pretty fixed. Um, and they think that they're beneficial. And so the idea is, how can I go out and confirm my talking points? That doesn't help anyone, least of all the American people who are interested in getting a good answer, be it about January 6th, or like you mentioned, about the congressional baseball shooting, where, but for really good reporting, we wouldn't have many answers about even the way the FBI was classifying the incident. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, it's funny, I, on, on Twitter, I, I posted a poll at one point saying, what was a bigger threat to, uh, to our government? June 14th, 2017, or January 6th, 2021, almost every uh, comment below was, oh my God, I had to look up the date and see what it meant. Like, there's no connection to that being a big deal. And a lot of it's because it seems like the media, uh, as as well as uh, Democrats in general, are trying to turn January 6th into 9-11. And it just quite simply was not 9-11. Yeah. And, and Stu, I think the thing that I can't shake is, you know, obviously it's it's insulting in like four or five different directions to even suggest it would yeah. be like 9-11. Um, and, and I get it. Right. I live walking distance from the Capitol. I, I am down there. It seems like nearly every day, usually either on a run or with my dog, not doing professional business. But I, I get the appeal, I think, as someone who used to work there of the building and the institution, the structure. Uh, I certainly believe that January 6th was an enormously important day uh, in the last call it 10 or 15 years, a really important day to be able to better understand some of the fracks and uh, or cracks and fissures within our country, particularly around partisan issues. But the idea that it could in any way, shape or form be as significant or as impactful in the short term or the long term as the worst terrorist attack in the history of the United States, something that took 3000 lives, an event that upended the way that we looked at, you know, law enforcement and the relationship between law enforcement and national security. I mean, it's it's insulting, I think, in a lot of ways. But there's this desire today that every single issue either has to be 9-11 or it has to be Jim Crow or it isn't a big deal. And that's just not the case. It's never the case. Right. I think it was I think it was Byron York who pointed out, look, you know, yes, this was a big deal. However, like they continue to do business that day and to call it 9-11, like it would be the equivalent of them continuing to have meetings inside the World Trade Center that day. That's not what happened. It's a great point. It's, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's a totally different scenario. And this there's just a, a huge political incentive to make it into 9-11. And right. all too often, it does appear that the media is going along for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's a, a certainly very strong partisan incentive to make this the most important deal that could possibly exist. And I think for a lot of people, particularly, you know, the, the chattering class, the commentariat class, a lot of people like to feel significant and important, right? This is always the most important election that has ever happened every two or every four years. Yeah. That will always be the case because the people who are writing and talking about it desperately want it to be the case in a way that I think there's probably some self-delusion thrown in there. And so the fact that the people who are talking about 
about this important event uh, don't necessarily have the language to say something is probably more important than a speeding ticket, but probably less important than a, a complete disaster that brought our entire country to its knees. There, for some reason, there's no language that exists there. Uh, and unfortunately, for most of the people who are writing about it, there's not really a strong incentive to go out and find it because it probably just means fewer clicks for them. Yeah, no, it's true. There's no there's no in between. It doesn't seem like at least yeah. for most people. So um, one of the things I think was interesting about 9-11 as an example, however, was that in, in a way... It, it broke down at some level, and the 9-11 Commission was not perfect by any means. But mm -hmm. we did get a lot of information about what happened that day and what was behind it. And I think yeah. part of that was, was that we really were, at least at one point, aligned politically to say, okay, this is a really bad event, right. we don't want to occur again. The, the origin of the virus is, look, I don't, I don't think you can even put... This is a tough thing to say because going through 9/11 was one of the you know one of the most the craziest days of every one of our lives and it was a life-changing yeah. experience. But like it's hard to put even 9/11 into the category of COVID. Like I, we're talking hundreds right. of yeah. thousands of people, yeah. millions worldwide. This is the biggest story of our lifetime, I think. Yeah. And yeah. you know to not have a bipartisan desire to find out what the hell happened and to right. hold the Chinese Communist Party responsible if they are responsible, I just don't even understand the argument to not be investigating this a lot more uh, aggressively. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Stu, I think part of it is I can't help, and maybe this is just uh, some baseless optimism on my part, but I can't help but think that those incentives still exist and that interest still exists and that deep down actually what everyone in Congress and in, you know, it, among the Biden presidency, what they want is our answers on this. They want the truth on this. And I think the American people earnestly want the truth, not in a way, sure. Some of them it's going to be, I, I want to be right. I want to be able to swing the hammer and to have been right all along or whatever all mm -hmm. it is. But I think overwhelmingly, yes, there is the shared interest similar to 9-11 of, wow, this isn't just bad in a small way and it's not bad in a partisan way. And it's not bad as in like, oh, we lost an election. And so how do we have a postmortem to understand how we don't lose next time? This is meteoric. It is unbelievably important. It's unbelievably impactful. And it's the sort of thing that I think is, is so high above partisan politics in terms of avoiding it happening again, that I can't help but think that it's the sort of thing where people would come together, earnestly be interested in finding the truth, and then doing our best to act on whatever that truth happens to be so that we can improve for the long haul. Yeah, you know, I think, and let me run this by you, I, I, I wonder if it's a a change in its incentives as a country in that like mm -hmm. there was a period in which we would look at, you know, Russia and, and so the Soviet yeah. Union as this big time until obviously Rocky four ended the Cold War until, <laughs> right. until that happened. We would look at that. And the incentive was to find things um, at, at times to excess where we would vilify essentially other places around the world, other governments, scary other places, mm -hmm. foreign places. It wasn't always the right thing to do, but it, you know, often it was part of this American exceptionalism where we'd see other countries and we'd say, yeah. okay, their, their form of government, they've done these things that are wrong. They're totally uh, against what this country, our country stands for. Now mm -hmm. it seems like the media, the left, and, and not exclusively, but I, I would say largely, uh, see the the possibility of pointing the guns inward, so to speak, and to say yeah. our a political opponents are actually the real bad ones. The Chinese Communist Party may have done things wrong, but the really bad guys are those white supremacist Republican Congress people. They see they see sure. there is more of a benefit to vilifying Americans than the other way around. 
Yeah, I mean, Stu, unfortunately, I think I agree with you. You know, at the end of the day, it's they become easier enemies. And, you know, whenever you're whenever you're talking about international conflicts and things like that in this day and age, you get you can trip, I think, pretty quickly into xenophobia and and the sort of misplaced errors we've made in the past, be that against the Soviet Union, the invasion of Iraq. All of these sorts of problems can come to the surface really, really quickly. And so I think people, particularly across the media and among the left, are a lot more hands off on on the moral judgment that comes with that. It's a lot easier, I think, to look at your fellow Americans and say, you should be doing better. Um, it, it's closer to home. And, and you can you can kind of imagine who those people are and what their incentives are, uh, both real and unfortunately, oftentimes as a caricature, as the sort of thing that you don't, maybe you don't actually interact with, but you see it enough when you turn on MSNBC, that it becomes easier to critique those people for whom you don't think they have a good excuse to act the way that they are acting. And as a result, yeah, I think, unfortunately, it does become a lot easier to train those guns inward uh, to, to the detriment of the United States, because at the end of the day, we, we've got to start separating big from small on some of this stuff. And so, sure, we're never going to I don't think the United States anytime soon is going to all hold hands and sing kumbaya and put aside our political differences. But at some point, and you would think that maybe a global pandemic would be a good incentive to do this. At some point, we've got to step back and say, wow, whether or not I disagree with someone on their policy on health care or tax policy or whatever it is, has got to be less fundamental than the concerns of a hostile foreign power and what they might be doing. Mm, very true. Um, before I let you go, uh, one part of this has been really frustrating, I think, for conservatives most of all, was you know, there are people who brought up the theory of a lab release, a mistaken lab release, people like sure. Tom Cotton, um, uh, uh, you know, mainly in the government. But, I mean, you know, Jim Garrity did a lot of great reporting on this um, mm-hmm. yeah, for National yeah. Review. Uh, and they were criticized. They were, they were laughed at. They were say it was a fringe theory. It was a conspiracy theory. And mm-hmm. now we're seeing the media totally reverse themselves on this and suddenly take it seriously. You've been documenting some of this. Can you, can you yeah. walk us through it? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, the one that really jumps out to me is in, in early 2020, I think it was February or so, um, when Tom Cotton had first made the suggestion that, hey, maybe we should get more answers, right? This is before you'd even laid out you four potential th- theories about what might have happened. You said, hey, we should probably ask um, the, the scientists in Wuhan for a little bit more information, given uh, supposedly this thing came from a, a market right down the street from a level four virology lab. Yeah. Just that suggestion, the Washington Post said was, and I'm quoting now, was fanning the embers of a conspiracy theory that had been repeatedly debunked by experts. Those same questions, those same questions that Tom Cotton was asking back then are the same questions the Post is asking in the last couple of days. It has completely come full circle, Stu, and there's been no self-awareness in that change. I mean, we're going from little talk about what happened in the Wuhan lab to, well, first, a lot of talk about how awful these conspiracies were to a few trickles of information from who, from from various U.S. sources to, oh, yeah, this is totally credible. And the fact that at no point, I think I've seen one, maybe two mainstream articles that have kind of earnestly said, eh, this wasn't great, guys, it kind of screwed this up. But by and large, I mean, it's, it's straight down the memory hole and incinerated before the time that the next the next publication comes out. I, you know, I really think like, because there are good journalists out there. One of the, a former yeah. New York Times journalist for, for Medium wrote a very long piece describing the mm-hmm. origins of COVID in incredible detail. It's not that journalists aren't out yeah. there doing work, but they don't take the extra step of saying, look, we blew this last time. Here's why we blew it. Here's why we didn't take this seriously. I mean, you know, Maggie Haberman was on TV and she's getting a lot of criticism over what she said. But in a way, she was just being honest. Trump said it so we didn't look at it. That yeah. is what she's admitting. It's true, but you need that extra step 
of saying next time we won't do that. We won't repeat this mistake. Yeah. And Stu, I mean, this is the same. How did we get it wrong postmortem that places like the New York Times have been talking about since the 2016 election? Yeah. You know, there's been so many times, at least once upon a time, there was what seemed like an earnest effort to step back and say, wow, We've got some blind spots. There's some things we can't see, some things we don't understand. There seems to be kind of this light dawning over Marblehead sort of reaction of, oh, yes, maybe the fact that 80 to 85 percent of us all see the world the same way, all tend to vote the same way, uh, all go to the same brunch spots. Maybe, maybe, maybe that has some consequences of the way that we tell stories, the way that we report information. Um, and every so often it will bubble up. And it seems like the next day that just the idea that that could be important has, has completely vanished. And unfortunately, we're seeing it again right now with, again, very limited exceptions. Well, let's keep brunch out of this. It's too delicious. Uh, but uh, Drew Holden, <laughs> I do appreciate it. Uh, right, uh, commentary writer, creator of uh, the wonderful Twitter account, Drew Holden 360. Make sure to follow it. He's got a bunch of examples of this phenomenon in action, and you can see it happen in real time. It's so satisfying. Drew, thanks a lot, man. Stu, pleasure's mine, sir. Well, Governor Abbott here in Texas is uh, coming out with a new promise. He wants to defund the cities that try to defund police. Uh, He passed a law recently um, uh, that basically was going to uh, make it impossible for cities in Texas to defund the police, but thinks that that's not even going far enough. We need to defund those cities so that they're not getting uh, state dollars. If they don't want, uh, they don't want police. Well, then they're not going to get any help from the state of Texas. Uh, now, Abbott. It's interesting because he's got um, a couple of challengers in the primary race, as you may have heard. One, our very own uh, Chad Prather, is involved in the race. Uh, another uh, uh, congressman, Huffines, is also uh, jumping in. It looks like um, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's. I, I know Chad knows this. It's a. It's always a tough thing to try to unseat someone who's uh, in office. I looked today at his approval rating. It's still 77% among Republicans. Uh, now, it, w- it was as high as 89 at one point um, and as low as, I think, 70. So he's, you know, it's been, he's kind of in the middle. I don't, I don't know if he, I don't know. It's going to be tough to knock off. We'll see uh, if that's going to be possible as we get into the primaries. That's 2022 uh, is that election. Um, another governor who's having some interesting times is Governor Whitmer. Now, we told you yesterday uh, she made up these restrictions. You're not allowed to have more than six people at a table, even if you're fully vaccinated. This never made any sense. There was never any science behind it. It's just pure insanity. Uh, Of course, then she went out to eat and they pushed the tables together and they had 12 people sitting at a table. And there she is, no mask, uh, smiling and uh, breaking her own rules. Well, what do you do when you get caught breaking your own rules? There's a couple things you can do. You can, uh, you could, of course, uh, admit to it and say how terrible you are and face the punishment that anyone else would face. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Number two, you could deny it, run away, and never address the issue. Or you could do what uh, Governor Whitmer did, uh, number three, which is she's now gotten rid of that rule. Now, it's tough because you get rid of the rule after you get caught. It does smack of a little bit of corruption. On the other hand, the rule now is obviously more correct than it was before. So this is a step in the right direction. And if embarrassment of bad governors is the price that we have to pay to get to actual freedom again in this country, I'm willing to pay it.
We used to be able to go to sports to escape from real life. Now the NBA is just a democratic activist organization and they are pushing on the one year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. Uh, they are pushing a racial coalition to pass police reform because that's what basketball is about now. You can't actually just watch games. I mean, George Floyd's not a player in the NBA, but apparently that's a, all they can focus on. Uh, I thought it was interesting, and, and I want to share something with you. This is from my friend Jason Whitlock, uh, who gives us a great uh, perspective on what the black experience is here in America from PragerU. I want to tell you something that everybody once knew, and now many have either forgotten or never learned. Pay very close attention. America promises you freedom. America does not promise you love. Let's start with the freedom part. It's all right there in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Free speech. Freedom to practice the religion of your choice. The purpose of government is to protect your freedom, period. America was a rough and tumble place in its early days. It still is. Let's hope it always remains so. You don't want to live in a country where all your needs are taken care of by the government. That's not how you become great. That's how you become dependent, vulnerable, and truly oppressed. America is a land of opportunity for anyone of any color. Just follow some basic rules. Get an education, work hard, act responsibly, and you'll have a good shot at a good life. But you might also fail. You might fail a bunch of times and then succeed. Or you might succeed and blow it all. That's America a never-ending dance of risk and reward, all made possible by freedom. Freedom is America's source of power, and the denial of that power to black people and others at the inception of this nation and for nearly 200 years after its founding remains a stain and a source of pain. Yes, some of the founders had slaves, but almost all of them knew that it was morally wrong and would one day end. When Thomas Jefferson wrote the words, all men are created equal? The slavery question was resolved. The only issue was how and when. And it took a lot longer than it should have, but it did end. And a lot of good people died on the battlefield to see that it did. And when it ended, giants like Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass understood that black Americans would have to succeed on their own as free men and women. They had no illusions that the government would save them. They only wanted what all Americans should ever want the government to do, protect their freedom. But the founders never promised love, not to whites or blacks or anyone else. During his famous I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King referenced freedom 20 times. He never once spoke the word love. Why not? Because America has nothing to do with that. If you want love, and we all do, Look to God, your family, and your friends. The government doesn't love you and isn't supposed to. The government is a poor and abusive provider. It offers the bare minimum and fosters a dependency that undermines freedom. During the 2020 Black Lives Matter season, NBA players actually wore jerseys with the slogan, Love Us, emblazoned on the back. You can't demand love from people. Love is freely given or not given at all. Telling people not to call you this name or that name or not to act this way or that way, consciously or unconsciously, because it offends you, will not bring you love. 
Love is your mother's smile or that look your kid gives you when you come home from work. Love is that man or woman who protects you when you're scared and provides a home where you can flourish. And love is what God offers you every moment of every day. To the government, you're just a social security number, nothing more. And I'm okay with that because I don't want or expect the government to know or care about me. Mostly, I want the government to leave me alone. I'm proud to be an American, and I'm proud to be a black man in America. Blacks have made enormous contributions to this country. But let me tell you what our single greatest contribution has been. We have been this nation's moral conscience. Blacks have forced America to live up to its best ideals. Our righteous pursuit of freedom, pursuit of freedom, not love, compel this nation to seek and find its better self. It's been a long, hard road, but we're close to Dr. King's promised land. We have reached the mountaintops in politics, in medicine, in space, in literature, in sports, in music, in business. No other majority white country has ever been led by a black man or woman. Blacks can demand opportunity. That's every American's right. We can demand freedom. That's every American's right. But we can't demand love. That's no one's right. And that brings me back to God. Blacks have suffered mightily and prospered mightily in America. But in our long journey, we've always been headed in the right direction until now because we have taken a wrong turn away from God where we have, as a community, always found strength and solace and toward government, which offers us nothing but empty promises. I'm Jason Whitlock for Prager University. So Nancy Pelosi is in the news. She's been sending out these uh, emails like this one. This is so critical, meaning the campaign. I'm personally 4X matching all the gifts for these final 24 hours of fundraising, declared a typical email sent in Pelosi's voice in January. Well, Axios, in a very nice little burst of journalism, a scattered shower of journalism, as, we, as they say, decided to look at that claim and see, is she really matching these donations? Uh, you'll be surprised to hear, no, not at all, not one. Uh, they didn't find any of the matching donations and any of the reporting. Just a reminder that Nancy Pelosi sucks, okay? She sucks. She sucks right here on this pen. She sucks right here on this mug. Nancy Pelosi sucks, pen.com. In fact, if you go watch the news and why it matters today, you will see a lovely Sarah Gonzalez wearing a Nancy Pelosi sucks t-shirt. All of this evidence adds up to the same thing. Nancy Pelosi sucks. So check it out. Uh, still pens in stock. We got lots of stuff in stock for you if you want to check that out and annoy your liberal friends. Um, before we go, I want to tell you a story about a drug dealer who went on a chat room and, and he, I guess was they were trying to find this guy. His name is Chris Stel, uh, Stewart, 39 years old. He went on and pick, posted a picture of cheese. Do we have the picture of cheese by any chance? Yeah, here we go. Oh, no, that's just a picture of his face. A picture, a picture of cheese. Um, picture of cheese. And basically, it's just a picture of his hand holding cheese. Well, in case you were wondering, uh, the, the police actually analyzed the picture, saw his fingerprints, and were able to tell that the mature blue Stilton was being held by the drug dealer. 
So remember, kitties, life has consequences. Start your drug empire without posting photos of your favorite cheese.